and welcome back to another rousing round of The Dice Are Screaming. This is Randy. And Mike. And we're here to talk about gaming, geekery, and all kinds of stuff. So today we thought we'd kind of skip around about transitioning your campaign. You may be running a very good and fun campaign that's traditionally based in a dungeon or other such locale, and everything seems to be going fine, but you want to keep it fresh, and ways to do that in different styles of campaigns is what we're going to be talking about today. And not specifically a particular overriding theme like a dungeon delve, but different phases inside your campaigns. Yeah, uh, shaking it up a little bit in mid-campaign uh, is a good way to keep things from getting a little stale, and I don't really have an exact favorite type of, you know, module or adventure style, uh, but I do like running across almost all of them uh, at some point or another in the course of a single campaign, and by that I mean, you know, say you're starting with your campaign and you're a bunch of first levelers and you're out there in the dungeon, uh, and it's crawl, 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 stab, stab, stab. Uh, and you haul that swag home and uh, pawn it off at the, the little local shops. Um, that's great, but, you know, seven or eight levels of nothing but that starts to wear a little bit thin. So what we're really talking about today is the notion of changing up the style of adventure from time to time. So that at no one point do you ever feel like, yeah, man, it seems like all we do is, you know, uh, crawling around in holes in the ground. Um, shake it up a little. Right. You know, you go to the various styles. There's wilderness adventure. And that's one we're going to cover is just, you know, where nature itself is your main opponent. Along with a bevy of wandering monsters and planned encounter sites that the players can stumble upon. Rather than a dungeon crawl, this is known as a hex crawl. <laughs> Moving from hex to hex and having kind of the fun of not knowing what's going to show up with the wandering monsters. And this is where it's important, to, I, at least I feel, to have the wandering monster table planned out. Or just even if you're using a generic one, make sure that some of the monsters are key to certain areas and locales so that can lead to further adventure. It supports well in a sandbox type area where there's no direct place you have to go, but you can also, inversely, have places to go. Perhaps a sage who lives in a remote area, or legends about a magic item, or the much-wanted treasure map. Ah, also a classic which can be planted in any adventure at any time. Uh, there's few things players like more than treasure, and with good reason, but you can put a treasure map at you know, into their hands via almost any circumstance anywhere. Uh, but with regard to the outdoors, uh, outdoor adventuring is a great way to get out of the grind of interior dungeon crawls. Uh, and I love the idea, and have always loved the idea, of nature being the enemy it's, it's, itself. Uh, you know, the burning heat of a desert, uh, mm. running low on water supplies. Uh, Check your <laughs> rations. Or... Being in a, you know, freezing range of mountains and, you know, <laughs> it's killing the hobbits. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that kind of moment uh, presents unique challenges that are not just something you can stab away at until they're gone. And I 
DM style, I love a challenge that is outside the box a little. Yeah, even just crossing a river or a mountain range can be a formidable obstacle in and of itself, taking a whole session to play. But again, that might not be for everybody. You know, that's why you have the Wandering Monsters and set-piece encounter areas where maybe a small dungeon or ruins is located, you know, haunted by maybe a Lakrota or... Oh, yeah. You know, or other types of creatures, a small lair of giants, what have you. These can all be put in there to add some excitement and make it seem like there is a plan, even if there isn't one. So, borrow that from the Joker. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I mean, you can always tuck in a, a little random mini-module uh, where people encounter, uh, say, for instance, uh, <laughs> a very angry and antisocial Medusa. I'm not sure they come any other way. No. But a Medusa with a, a very serious passion for uh, sculptures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you really have a sense of humor, you can make her actually a sculptress. Uh, you know, just routinely making her own statues. Yeah, sometimes I get bored and there's nothing handy to turn into stone, so I, I make my own. No, you can throw anything at people at any time. Uh, in an outdoor adventure, uh, and it, it's really sandbox-style friendly. Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, another would be uh, to get people out of the dungeon, you can also uh, thrust them unwillingly into the court uh, and find them in political intrigue. Ah, uh, yeah, the great game, where there's many types of political situations, and not all players react to them well. Some people like playing the barbarian, like, oh, there's a lot of talking here and not enough hacking. And, you know, that's a fair thing. You have to keep people engaged. But even being the bull in the china shop that a barbarian is in a political game still has its opportunities. You know, the barbarians tend to be pretty straightforward and can also see through a lot of plots pretty easily. So always remember that social skills don't always apply to intimidation checks, things like sense motive, and also O's and things like that, they tend to take pretty seriously. So tailor a political campaign or adventure carefully to your players. If you have like paladins and clerics, perhaps something in the name of uh, The Rose, something oh, similar to that. The Name of The Rose, which was a great movie. Uh, that's a good one. Intrigue in a Cloister, Murder Mystery. These are ways that can be adapted to various means inside different approaches to a city adventure and also Running afoul of the most dangerous creature in a city is the guilds. <laughs> most notably the Thieves' Guild, but also Assassin Guilds or other uh, underground or black market organizations can also run afoul, especially with players trying to fence goods or unscrupulous treasure items. <laughs> you know, can, they can run afoul of the Thieves' Guild or the criminal element very quickly. Now hurry along, Corkop. It's almost the end of the month, and my rent is nearly due. due. Ah, yeah, Gog Magog, Baron yeah. of Thieves. Yeah, we wouldn't be, we'd be remiss here at the Dice of Screaming if we didn't have an occasional Korgoth. Korgoth of Barbaria. Reference. Go to YouTube, look it up. Yep. Uh, this is your homework assignment for this week by club members. Uh, you know, the first rule of Game Club is... We don't talk about Game Club. The second rule of Game Club is we do not talk about Game Club. Uh, There's a third unwritten rule that you have to know about Korgoth the Barbarian. Yeah. But uh, dealing with various 
financial interests in a city campaign uh, can pit players against even their own best interest at times. It, it can actually, you know, put them in that uh, unenviable situation of being blackmailed or uh, manipulated to work against what would generally be, you know, their, their purposes uh, for their own benefit. But if you catch them in the right circumstance, uh, entrap them with words, get promises out of them that they should not have given, um, or entice them with the promise of money and then lure them into a circumstance where yeah. now they're, on, they're no longer on the sunny side of the law, uh, those kind of manipulations can also lead to combative moments so that a very civilized conversation, social-based campaign... Uh, is punctuated by periods where they will need strength, where they will need the mm -hmm. ability to fight at the drop of a hat, and it could be skullduggery in a dark alley. Uh, so it, it's not a fightless campaign style. Yeah, a lot of people look at, uh, when you mention political, they're like, oh boy, the eyes roll. But I didn't know there would be this much talking. Uh, <laughs> but you can have an entire session completely based on the machinations of a evil cult or subversive group inside a city that Ooh. is trying to stymie the players. Or a so. powerful monster that uh, has a subterranean lair and a, a huge assortment of minions. A Rakshasa, a Beholder, or yeah. Mind Player. And they're manipulating these creatures and sending their minions forth. And at first, most of the, the initial campaign is dealing with the minions and tracking down information and trying to unravel the nest of you know enemies until you can finally locate that big bad. And bring him to ground. Yeah, and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's been like three sessions and we finally get to go after that beholder in person. I swear, as a I swear on my sword as a fighter, I am going to use that beholder like a beach ball at a Def Leppard concert. Just this one's for the back bleachers, kids. <laughs> uh, you know, that, and they have it coming. But yeah. that makes the joy of getting into that fight uh, that much sweeter because you had to wait and work for it. Uh, yep, and even like things like trading in magic items or shopping for upgrades and things like that can be turned into a pleasant diversion for a session or two if your players are into that. So also keep that open. And, of course, the other ways besides just the typical hex crawls or city adventures where you have political intrigue, there is the other one, the Metaplanar. Ah, yes. Stepping outside of the familiar uh, and out of the, the mortal realms and out of the physical world and into extraplanar, astral, elemental planes, uh, along with the unique challenges that come with going to places where, technically, you're not made to survive. You know, you're an outsider there, just as much as the demons and devils and other baddies from the other dark have per permeated through that realm into the prime material plane. This requires you as a game master now put players as the outsiders, and oftentimes they're ill prepared, especially like a train uh, trip to the plane of elemental fire. Now, these require some planning on your part and also your players, but of course, you know, anything in a dungeon, a trap, a mystical portal can take them to these places. 
Yeah, uh, sometimes without much in the way of planning, which <laughs> if you really want to put people on the spot, don't give them time to hedge their bet. Don't give them right. uh, endless amounts of resources to tap into before uh, going to another plane. Hit them by surprise. Just pow! Oh, well, that just happened. You are there. Uh, and that, yeah, that's where you really begin to see people, you know, exercise uh, their skills mm -hmm. in terms of fast thinking, uh, yeah. making use of resources that are already available to them. I like that. Yeah, really talk about taking people out of their element. It requires a little bit more planning on the DM's part, and uh, especially if you're the game master, the load majority of the work will fall on your shoulders to explain the rules and the, the difference in the way of playing acts and behaves and differences in how spells behave, act and behave as well. But uh, don't be too intimidated by it. There's not a lot of archetypal material. I mean, Michael Moorcock, probably on many of Elric and Hawkmoon's storied adventures into other planes and alternate realities and dimensions were, of course, famous. But uh, there are other ones, too. The, you know, there is, the, of course, the astral plane, which permeates many types of legend and fantasy literature. Yes. Uh, astral, ethereal, uh, and, of course, you know, elemental. Um, yeah. You know, they, they do have antecedents in literature and history. So, uh, and, of course, you know, nodding to uh, Shakespeare, you know, uh, the fairy court. Yep, those, the fairy court, yeah, those uh, are totally valid reuse there. Um, borrowing just about anything from any uh, historical source is like tried and true D, you know, D&D, &D, uh, yep. be it Pathfinder or uh, Fantasy RPG, uh, whatever it is, I, that's an honorable tradition right there. Nobody, nobody has anything, anything to be ashamed of if you're pulling from classical mythos. Yeah, so don't be afraid to, you know, shake it up a little bit. You know, a lot of mischance can lead to a lot of good gaming. You know, a misread scroll of plane shift can take you to a place that you didn't expect. <laughs> and it, again, may require some pre-work on your part, but the effort pays off. And the best thing is, is usually after all these side quests and treks, the players will usually be clambering to go back to a dungeon where things are safe and predictable. Yeah. It's left, right, straight ahead, or through a door. That's, geez, <laughs> That was a lot better than before, where we were lost in the Swamp of Sorrows yeah. for five weeks. <laughs> Artax! <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, you've got to uh, take your joys where you find them. Uh, and keeping it fresh doesn't mean never going dungeoneering. Uh, a classic dungeon can always be mixed up. Uh, if you want people off their guard for a bit, let them go through a couple of dungeons with hardly anything in the way of a trap. And then trap the daylights out of the next one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep, even in a dungeon environment, traps and puzzles and mazes. They're classic. Oh, art. and a good old-fashioned riddle quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which it takes a little DM homework if you're looking for a riddle that they, they haven't heard before. But uh, yeah, I like your rule. Oh? Yeah, the one you have at your table where... Oh, yeah, it's done on the spot. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the party selects a caller... And that is the person who will speak for the party after they have made their decision. I give them the riddle. They have time to hear it and write it down. And then I just set the timer and I walk away. A few minutes later, I come back. And the answer that the speaker gives, they're stuck with. 
Right, but don't you also write the riddle in a specific time? I usually do. If I'm going to do a riddle quest, I write a few riddles, and I, I prefer to get out and research them and then get a feel for the, the rhyme, the, the yeah. meter of them. Uh, and that, that style. Um, and then, when I've got a couple of new ones, uh, I'm ready for game. I'm, I'm ready to hit them with uh, my best shot. Uh, so far, I am apparently not the toughest riddle writer ever. I mean, you know, but I also have some pretty cunning players, so... Yeah, I, I, I prefer to do my... I have up. a select few I've written and a few I borrow. Well, um, a steal, but... Uh, yeah, good delve on the internet can help you with this one. You know, if you're looking for sharp riddles, uh, delve deep. Don't go for that... <laughs> Don't go for the first entry uh, that comes up on Google. You know, uh, scroll down a little bit. Get in the back corners because you want something that they're not likely to have heard recently. Yeah, but these are all nice little things that you can do to change up just the pace of your uh, current campaign. And we use campaign, but we also talk about adventures within those campaigns. Singular experiences or one or two sessions that are devoted to something different help maintain the unique and fresh approach of your world as you play through it and explore. And letting your players have that moment where they can choose what to do and where to go can help bring your campaign alive and make it seem like a living world where sometimes things happen without them around also. And that's the political game too. But Yeah, setting up a timeline where uh, sooner or later events are moving at a pace that is independent of the party. And if you're being careful with the tracking of time, uh, this gives you the opportunity to put the players under a certain amount of pressure that you know, there will be a surprise at this date in the future and they don't know what's coming. Right. So these all things tie in and there's stuff you can use or ignore. I mean, if it's working for you and everybody's having fun, you know, you don't have to change just for changes sake. Make yeah. sure that the changes you're making are done because the players are just like, so oh, it's just another delve into the dungeon. What's gonna be on the fourth level tonight? <laughs> That's your kind of signal, you know, so that read your players and always listen and of course as usual, make sure that your players are engaged in the campaign, and if they're not, ask questions. There's no harm in that. You don't have to be inapproachable or aloof. Yeah, they're your partners in this experience. They're your your audience uh, as a DM. Uh, accept their input. Doesn't mean you have to uh, follow their input, but at least have a finger on the pulse of things and be ready to listen. Yeah. yeah. That's all you could ask for is uh, the, the best advice you can get about what players enjoy is actually watching players and seeing what they enjoy. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes and ears open, and if it's working for you, keep it. If it's not, change it. No worries. You know, but I think that's we covered a pretty good section tonight, and, uh, of course, we appreciate you sticking up with us. As always, look us up on Facebook on the Dice for Screaming page there. You can see our newest episodes posted up there as well as give combat, combat, comment and commentary. Goodness, terrible today. Um, <laughs> just conflict on the mind. Roll for initiative. Uh, that's, all I, that's all I can paint <laughs> for. But uh, also, you can reach us on Twitter to the usual places at Death Hand, that's D E T H A N D, gaming and. 
Magi Vox, that's M-A-G-I-V-O-X, at Twitter. Yeah, you can reach us there. And, of course, uh, hit that applause button. Follow us. You know, um, we appreciate your uh, views, but give us some applause, too. Use the anchor button, and uh, we're getting bigger here. We're going to be doing a little shout-out to Eric Tenkar of Tenkar's Tavern. We'll be setting up a channel in Discord, and also we'll be... uh, Hosting our new episode starting next week on Ten Cards site, so you look for us there as well. And uh, as always, if you have any concerns or questions, look us up in any of those places. We'll be more than uh, happy to listen or take your comments and concerns into account. And as well, uh, we will be moving forward to a little bit lengthier format sometime in the future, but we're not really sure yet, since you guys really do love us and you know we're growing. <laughs> So we appreciate that. We're just, this is really what our almost month into this and we're doing really well. So thanks everybody. We're only getting stronger. (laughs) But all right, but that's going to do it for us. So thanks a lot for toughing it out. And again, may the dice always roll in your favor. favor.